This is a Think Live Be production. Okay, we're recording. We're officially recording. Yeah. I need to know when we are so I don't say anything stupid. I can edit it out. <laughs> no, we don't edit. We just let it all come out That's and see true. what happens. Yep. Uh, I can count. Yeah, I don't think we've ever done that, actually. I'm tr- trying to think. I don't think you've I've ever, ever cut something. Yeah, where it's like, oh, that or start over or anything like that. Dog barking, sounds nope, of we just keep, rain. We just plow right through. I've never had been like, oh, we shouldn't have said that. Let's cut that out and let's back up or anything. Well, yeah. Um, we had one time where we, and I think it was right, maybe right at the beginning of COVID or something like that, where we did an entire podcast and it recorded gar- garbled and stuff <laughs> and we had to do the whole podcast over again. We did that once. Yeah. And that's it. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I think for the most part, we just kind of say what we say and whatever comes out is what you hear. Yep. Um, This is our podcast, by the way. I'm going to actually do the intro at the beginning. Wow. It's a miracle. It only um, took 110 episodes. <laughs> but yeah, so this is our podcast. It's called We Welcome. Or, uh, oh, called, my oh my God. God. <laughs> Can we start over now? No, nope. <laughs> Can we edit this She doesn't part? know the name of the podcast. We just started. <laughs> It's our first episode. <laughs> the podcast is called Seeking the Best, and we titled it that because we just we're constantly on a journey to find the best in ourselves. There's tons of hurdles and pitfalls in the real estate industry, so we're we just like to talk things through, figure out what we can do better, and this is our platform for doing that. I hope you get something out of it. I'm Catherine Stelgis, and uh, Kayla is not here again um, this week, so she's Kayla Boundy's my director of operations. Normally, she's on the podcast as well as a co-host popping in with her witty banter every so often and then we've got patrick fatica our sound engineer producer extraordinaire hello he makes this whole thing happen yep that's me except that one time where it didn't record that wasn't my fault that was computer error Uh uh-huh uh-huh likely story (laughs) yeah um i have some exciting news for all you listeners out there what is it i got a new phone oh finally so if this is your first time listening I've had the iPhone 6 for as long as the iPhone 6 has been out. Yeah. And actually, yeah, probably, I probably got it relatively new at yeah, the time. Yeah, it was. It was new. Yeah. And I haven't gotten You're it. like, I'm never paying this much for a phone again. And so, <laughs> so she's, for however many years it's been, has been using, the, the battery stayed, stayed charged for maybe 45 minutes. Yeah, the, that's why I got a new one, by the way, is because the phone just wouldn't stay charged anymore. And I, you know, as I'm driving around during the day, I can plug it into the the car mm-hmm. charger, you know, and then, but it just, every time I would go on an appointment, I was realizing that I was starting to worry about running out of Yeah. And then your, co- your coach made fun of you. Well, I, I made fun of myself. Yeah. <laughs> but I am very frugal, would you say? Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. Um, about certain things. About certain things, That's yes. the way we don't have to be frugal about other things. And for whatever reason, I've just got a thing about paying $1,000 for a phone. It's a lot of money to get a new phone these days. And it used to be, I think that's what it is. It's like, it's not the amount of money for the phone because we use it every single day, almost all day. Like it's not only for business, but personal, like I'm constantly on it. So am I getting that money's worth? Yeah. For sure. I ran that phone into the ground. Yeah. 
I think it's just like it used to be that you would get an upgraded phone for like $150, $200. And then all of a sudden it was $1,000. Okay, Grandpa. Overnight. I know. I do sound like very old and cranky. In my day, phones cost a nickel. (laughs) But it was just like overnight. And I I just felt there wasn't a warrant for that. And so yeah. I've just been on this um, this thing where I just refuse to buy a new phone until absolutely necessary. But I think being frugal, like if I could say there's anything good about it, being frugal means that I'm I am I'm constantly thinking about should we really spend that much on that? That seems excessive and questioning those things. And, um, you know, that helps us build wealth. Yeah, of course. You're welcome. No, well, I mean, of course. It's like that we, and we're both frugal about some things and then other things. It's like, well, that's what I want. Like when we go and get something, it's usually the best version of whatever that is because we don't do it very often. So it's, and um, whether it's a car or my equipment or my computer or anything like that or sound system or whatever, it's like we always go with the very, very best. But we also... You know, my wardrobe is um, I've been wearing the same pair of Nikes for four years and, um, you know, I do six dollar shirts. So it's like I, there are things that I do that are just like I'm not spending money on that. Like I'm fine, you know, and, and, and so that there's other things that we can kind well, of acquire. Yeah, I think that that's I guess that's all I'm saying is, yeah, I I would rather spend money on buying a new house this year. Right than buying a new phone because the phone, as long as it's still working, it's like, I don't care if it's the newest version or fancy. I would rather get that investment property. Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't think that I was always that way. That's just been like a learned experience through, um, being a business owner and selling homes to realize like, you know, I don't have to go out and buy the newest thing just because I can choose where we spend our money yeah. and save so that we could buy a nice car and not have a car payment. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, well, anyway, I got a new phone. Yeah, um, we're all very proud of you. Listen, I'm pretty excited about it, though, because it's really nice looking. <laughs> it's like a mirror. Well, <laughs> and if you guys don't remember, because it was so many years ago, maybe some of our listeners weren't even old enough to... Uh, <laughs> To have a pod, to listen to a podcast when that phone came out. I don't think there were podcasts when that phone came out. No, okay. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Um, the, it it had a really small screen on it. Had the button, the button, and everything. So going from one of those iPhones with the button on it to the new iPhone 13 Pro is a huge difference. Yeah, huge difference. So that, that that'll be fun for it. you. Yeah. I love it. So, but one one of the things this sort of ties into is like. Okay, in my younger years, um, I do sound old this morning, but when I was, you know, when you're in college, like you just want the next new thing because like everybody else has it or whatever, you know, it's it's just what you do. And so this is just something that's learned through experience. So same thing I was going to talk about, like, what would I do if I could go back in time I, I think about this a lot because sometimes I'm like, let's just burn this thing to the ground and start over, right? Oh, yeah, that does happen. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people experience that like you 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 build this business or build a team and then you just like one day um, decide I'm going to start over. And so some people really do do that. And then some of us just talk about it because we think that it would be fun to just kind of start from scratch because you've learned so much. Yeah. And what if I did just start over? 
but that's not really like feasible. So yeah, it's not not realistic. <laughs> and and when you really start to dig down into it, it's like, oh yeah, it, it's when there's other people involved and stuff. It's 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 not a feasible thing. Well, yeah, and and I don't really want to start over. Like, yeah. That was hard. It's a fantasy. What if, what if I did? Like kind of a thing. Like, I don't what, really want to go back right. 15 years ago. Right. Throw and everything start... away and start over. Yeah, of course not. But yeah. but for for a, a mind experiment. What it's would fun. I do differently? Right. If I had all the knowledge that I had today. If you were a, just a new agent just trying to like figure it out and stuff, but you had all of your knowledge. It's like that fantasy of if I could go back to high school, if I knew then what I know now, yeah. what would what would it be like? And so you wanted to kind of maybe play with that idea with what real I estate. Yeah. Like I just, I got my license. I got my, I, I found what brokerage I wanted to go to, or I guess I could go back even to that. Like, what would I, how would I research where to go? Well, you know, I, yeah, well, I mean, it'd be totally different now than it was then just technology wise. But, you know, I, I see some agents that are like, you know, I can, I, I'm not an agent, so I don't know, but I would say the one thing that I see is that I, the one piece of advice of all of the things, and you know, I'm always talking about sphere and all of that stuff, but we're not getting into those little minutia things. I would say the most important thing for a new agent to do is to look at the big picture, think big and look at the big picture. If you were worried about what am I going to do with this one buyer that I might have, I don't know if I want to join this team or I don't want to know if I want, I don't know if I want to go on to uh, go to this broker because, and you're thinking small term of individual, that is, that is the biggest, that is how you make bad mistakes. You know what I think? Um, so I'll, I'll comment on that and then I'll go back to the beginning. Um, that's so much easier said than done. I know it is. That is one of those things that it's like, like it's floating out in space. It's like, just think bigger. Just do that. And it's like that takes, that really does take growth, like personal growth to be able to think beyond the right this minute now thing. You know what I mean though? Like it's, it's not so simple. Yeah, no, that's true. It's not something actionable today. Just stop, you know, stop thinking small, think big. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, it, it is one of those things like when uh, you think about when you always see like older people on the news or something like, what would you tell your younger self? And it's like, take care of your teeth. And it's like, it's, it's such a like or whatever. Be a but nicer person. I think, and, and it's well, like, I think take care of your teeth is, is something you can do. Yeah. Like you just have to do this one thing every yeah, day. Yeah, no, that's true. I just mean it's like it is a, uh, a thing where it's, you know, it's like when you're when you're a kid and your parents are like, you know, those that you're all those people that you hang out with all your friends you'll never speak to them when you get older like and it's like screw you mom you don't know what i'm talking about and it's like it is hard to kind of put a uh sage advice from somebody else into your your mind when you're just getting started but at the end of the day it's like if we have any listeners that are newer to, to real estate, then I would, I would say that's, that's the one It's big picture. And that doesn't just apply to like the small thinking of, of a particular, what do I do? What do, am I going to give these leads up? 
but also big pic big picture stuff of like working of like I said working that sphere and all these things where it takes it takes a really long time for success and sometimes just going for the low hanging fruit you'll be 10 years down the road and you won't have anything built up and it, you'll still just be going for the low hanging fruit and that's your well so if you could take that the big picture thinking and and then like what can you do today to actually work towards that i would say like go go um think about long term like think about long term vision and go back and listen to a couple episodes about vision and thinking about the future mm-hmm. and learn how to be somebody who can be a little bit futuristic if that's not your natural natural personality type right that's something you can actionably do today is actionably a word well, sort of i think i made that up <laughs> um but outside of like those those sort of like just do this and this will make everything better right. yeah. <laughs> that that's like this hard thing to actually accomplish mm. what would i do differently walking out the door with my real estate license i think that's sort of the the exercise so if i take myself back it was 19 no i'm just kidding <laughs> it was 2006 <laughs> and I was very young. I would probably do the same thing I did. I will say one of the things that I did, I wouldn't change anything. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would go. Every, I did everything perfect. <laughs> one of the things that I did, though, that I, 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 this is just how I am. And so if you're not like this, this is a good way to look about uh, deciding about how to join a brokerage. Don't just choose a brokerage because your friend works there. Right. Um. Research different companies and then what's important to you. And for the most part, new agents, you don't know what you're doing, right? So what should be most important is training. What's the type of training that I'm going to get? Who will be teaching it? Who is that person? Like, it, because every office is different. Right. Um, how will I, uh, how will I continue to learn and grow beyond that initial training program? Right. Um, things like that. So I can see how people would say, oh, well, I'm going to join this big brokerage because they have all these systems in place for for training and blah, blah, blah. And then I could see other people saying, oh, I'm going to join this small brokerage because it's just these four people and I'll get like hands on like knowledge. And then the exact opposite could be true. I'm going to join this big brokerage and they didn't pay attention to me. I was just a number or I joined this small brokerage. They were too busy. They didn't have time for me. So it, it, big brokerage, small brokerage, it doesn't even matter. It's you've got to do you were you. You were going into them, but they look, they're used to hiring new agents. You're not hiring. They're not. You're interviewing them. They're not interviewing you. That's and that's a that's a that's something you have to, I think, as an older, more experienced person understand is easy to understand. But as a young agent, you think you're going in and and, and you're doing an interview. Right. And for a job. And it's like they're going to hire anybody off the street that's got a real estate license as long as you're not insane. If you're going in looking to be a single agent and you're going to brokerages looking where to hang your license. Yes. 
That's what I mean. Okay. But if, if you're, that's what I mean. If you're thinking about joining a team. Oh, that's different. You're, you're applying for a job yes, position. That, that's, that's totally different. I'm talking about just hanging my license. Which brokerage yes. am I going to go, go with? Like usually, you know, it's like if, the, if somebody's going to come walking into a brokerage and say, I want to be on a team and I want to be on that team, there's already uh, uh, conversations that have been had or, or research that's been done. But if you're just like, I, I just got my license. Am I going to hang it at, um, uh, Remax or Century 21? <laughs> um, you know, uh, you, but, but you are not the person that's being interviewed for to hang your license. You are the one doing the interviewing to decide whether or not you're well, going to work Well, I look at there. it like this, and this is probably why I approached it this way. It's like going to college. Oh, right. I, yeah. When I sure. applied to schools, I went yeah. to, I went and visited like seven colleges yeah. and visited the campus and talked to people and whatever looked around the city like learned about what would be the environment mm-hmm. that I would be like in school yeah so you have you were already in the headspace when you went to brokerages because it was a same. yeah like that's how I approached it anyway is right, right. or wrong like so no, I, I went right I went and visited like so, eight so, brokerages so, so, so so far every you did everything so, right so far I regret nothing <laughs> But that's kind of where it ends, right? Because here's the thing. I had set out to interview with um, eight brokerages. And the one that I didn't interview with is the one that I'm with now. And not because they weren't on my list. They were on my list. But that broker or whoever I was supposed to meet with, so this is Keller Williams, so it was probably the team leader that I would have met with was out of town. And they're lost for two years. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um... And all, all those sales you had, they missed out on. <laughs> well, imagine what could have been different, by the no, way. I know, but well, I, know. I mean, that's the whole point, right? So I chose from the seven that I that I talked to. One of the things I probably would no, no, no regrets. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say, I the the brokerage I joined was primarily because I felt a connection with the person that was talking with me. Right. I felt really comfortable with them, and I felt like. I have somebody that I can come to and ask questions and I felt like I was going to be in a good environment. One of the things that I definitely I heard, but I also didn't question and I do not regret this either was I heard splits and costs and like all those things. And it really wasn't my major focus Mm -hmm. because zero or you know zero dollars is like zero dollars like I don't have any sales I don't have any prospects for sales right um you know 50 percent of zero is still zero right Right. that's what I was trying to say well that's why on the flip side now that you're experienced agent and and trying and on the other side trying to explain to somebody who does 10 sales a year if you come work on our team you'll make 30 sales a year it doesn't matter what the split is you're going to be making way more money besides and like we can and as we say you know plus you're not doing all the other stuff you've got your five job duties and that's it but it's hard for people to wrap their brain well around. i do i think and and here's my the reason i wasn't focused on that was because i was straight out of college right. and i didn't know anything about money right or even the possibilities or anything. So right. I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind. However, I think that that was a, a good thing because then I didn't make decisions based on, on that. I right. made decisions based on where I found the most value of who I talked to at that time. I wonder, and I'm, I don't know, but I wonder the percentage of people who handle uh, joining the brokerage exactly that same way. 
because they are brand new. I think what we're talking about is when we're talking about splits and stuff like that and, and what's the brokerage take and is there a desk fee and blah, 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 all those little things and stuff isn't right out of school, out of school. It's the second year agent who's well, maybe struggling a little bit and trying to figure it out and all of that stuff. And I'm going to switch brokerages. That's going to be. Yeah, I hear know, I hear people, though, new, new, new and okay. experienced have questions. Now, I'm not saying don't question, oh, yeah. like, what you need to know yeah. how you're going to if get you're gonna, paid. Yeah, if there's a split and the brokerage is taking a percentage of that split, well, they should be offering something for that split, right? If you're not getting anything out of out of it, wh- whether whether it's leads or education or support or any of those things, then what are you paying the split for? Right? Well, so, you have to be getting something from your side. So one of the things, so going back in time, um, the the brokerage that I selected initially, I did I did like working there. There wasn't anything wrong with it. It just wasn't a good fit. And I didn't know that until I explored Keller Williams and realized that what I was looking for was mm-hmm. more in line with with the way that they taught and the whole team concept, building a business, your brand, all of those things was really, really a high focus of Keller Williams. And but, something that was very important to you. Yes. Whereas the other brokerage was all about their brand and everything else. And and which is for some people, they don't want to have to think about that stuff. Exactly. It's perfect for them. Right. And in the other brokerage, um, the split was much less. Like it was much less. At, and at the time, again, I didn't didn't think anything of it, didn't know any different. And I don't question that because they had a very high um, dollar amount spent on marketing. The marketing just wasn't going to help me and what I was trying to accomplish. Right. So um, again, this isn't like a blanket statement. Like some people, this was a particularly um, like high-end luxury brand. If you're you know, if you're looking for a luxury, like you already, maybe you were a new home sales agent. I'm just making up a story, but you're a new home sales agent. You've been dealing with a lot of high-end homes and you decide to get into residential real estate and resales. Then a company like that, you might find value in the high amount of dollars spent on marketing, which means your split is less, but you get all of this stuff. Yeah. And you don't want to have, and if you're, it's just you by yourself and you don't want to have to think about those things. Right. Then you don't have to think about it. It's all done for you and you don't have to worry about it. But if you're somebody like Catherine, who's like, I want my own brand. I want my own thing. I want my, my, I want a team and I want my, then it just, it's like you said, it's just not the right fit. Yeah. And again, it's not right or wrong. You just have to decide what's important to you. And so a lot of what I hear when new agents want to join the team um, is it's about leads so same thing when you go to join a brokerage, some brokerages might promise leads because they floor have that whether it's floor duty, which is where you sit in the office and get foot traffic. And then those leads that come in the door are yours um, or it's they have a very prominent website that gets a lot of leads and they like route that out to their agents. Or they do a round robin type of thing. Right? Yeah. Where so they, if calls come in, it's they just go through the list of agents and they get passed out to the to them. This is my new my new phone's ringing. I don't know how to turn it off. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, so, yes. So leads in a new agent's mind, I think that that's like the most important thing. Like, I don't know how to find people that want to yeah. do business, so I want I somebody in, to provide in, those in any to me. Mind, yeah, yeah, leads are important. Of right? course. So, I mean, you gotta have yeah. yeah. But 
one of the things that you have to really think about is what does it matter if I get a bunch of leads, but I don't know how, first of all, I won't be a bunch. Let's just be realistic. Like even the biggest brokerages with the the biggest websites do not deliver tons of leads to you. There's too many other agents. As a one year, second year agent, they've got the, the somebody calls in as a referral and they're selling a $3 million house. They're not going to, you're not getting that lead. Yeah. So, well, so I'll give an example. Like I know there's, um, there's some companies that have relationships with relocation companies. And so you have the potential, if you're working with that brokerage, you have the potential to get those relocation leads. But do you think as a brand new agent, you're going to get the relocation lead or is it the person who's been doing it for 15 years? I'm not saying it's right or wrong or whatever. It doesn't matter. Point is, as yeah. a new you're in, agent, you're going to be in the trenches and you're going to earn your due. You got, you know, you've got dues to pay for. So don't focus so much on the leads that are your promised because you won't know what to do with them if you don't join a brokerage that's actually going to teach you the, like what it means to have a lead and how to build a pipeline. So I guess what I'm going back to is no regrets on my decision. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. If I if I could do anything differently on that initial brokerage selection process, I probably would say like I wish I had interviewed with Keller Williams right. at the very beginning because, because I yeah. did spend two years at a different brokerage and where 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 could I have gone in those two years? Maybe nowhere. I mean, and there's really no regrets, yeah. but like like I I think that I might have gotten better education that would have made me move through things faster. Sure, that's all. So just be very careful about when you're selecting that brokerage, like that you're going to get actual training and what that means and how much and what happens after I finish that first training class. Right. Um. So then once you've picked the brokerage, like then what then what do you do? I think this is where people get stuck. We spend a lot of time on brokerage selection, but like I think that this is the, the next thing is where people get stuck is like, OK, I've got my license. I've got broker. I hung my start, license. Start on Monday. I'm starting. Now what? Now what? Now what do I do? And it's like complete silence. So, and then also, so depending on where you go, the training class might not start the day that you get your license, right? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense for them to have constant running classes for one person. So you may have to wait a couple weeks or months before you actually are able to take that initial education course. Right. So what do you do? So my first thing, I think if I could go back in time, and I actually don't remember like what I did. No, I have no idea. Like I, re- I remember going to the interviews with the brokerages. I remember what I wore even. Were you, I know. I'm trying to think. It's like I, th- you had, it was, it, that was a crazy time because I think, were you still going to school too? Yeah, I was still in school. Yeah. So not at, not getting your marketing degree, but. When I went back, I went back, went back to school. For your residential planning planning degree yeah so you were going to school there to do that and we both had jobs at the bar Mm -hmm. four nights a week yeah and and i worked during and i worked during the day at the restaurant next door right and (laughs) got and then got your real estate license so trying to work during the day at a restaurant working four nights a week in a bar until three in the morning and then going to school at the same time So what, okay. So if I could go back in time, what I would do differently would be to save up enough money for like, well, probably, I mean, I know they always say like six months, but there's, there's some truth to that. Like, even if it's just your basic expenses, save up some money because 
yes, there's flexibility in this business, blah, 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 but you will hinder yourself by holding on to a part-time job or some other job for while you're trying to get what is a business off yeah. the ground. Yeah. What well, dentist thing- office opens and the dentist says, okay, I'm opening my own dentist office, but I also bartend on the weekends. Right. And so I'm going to be um, coming in at, you know, 2 p.m. on Mondays because I'm going to be tired from the weekend. You know, I'm, I'm just making up a story. Yeah, well, but like you were young no, enough no to, business owner would do that. Yeah, you're, you were young enough. And I think some of our listeners are young enough. It's like you and and it's like you can't not everyone. Uh, I hate I hate this using this as a as a example, because this is like, uh, you know, you just get a, a million dollar loan from your dad. And it's one of those kind of things. It's like you were a bartender. So the first thing to do was get rid of that day job at the restaurant. Yeah. yeah. And then it's, well, I can bartend three nights a week and I don't have to be there until 930 at night. There's no real estate to do at, Well, and that- from 930 until three in the morning. So I can do a different job, make some money and stuff and not worry about where is my next meal going to come from. Well, and that is what um, what I did. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember I went to the guys and I said, I can't work the day restaurant because it was owned by the same people. And I said, I can't work that that shift anymore. And um, and I got rid of that. But I didn't do it immediately. Right. I, I did. I continued for a while trying to do everything at once. And so if I could go back in time, I would just say right from the beginning, I'm not going to be able to do that. Right. This I is can full-time. still do the bar three nights a week, um, but I'm going to set myself up like I'm like this is a business and I'm going to go to work from nine to five or nine to six or whatever and do the real estate job and then I'll work three nights, which I eventually did, but it took time. Yeah. And I wish if I could go back that I would save up enough where it felt comfortable to get rid of those things. Get rid of that day job right at the beginning. Right at the beginning. And then the night job, I wish I would have quit that sooner. Yeah. Because The problem even though- was is we both work there. So uh, there was no way that Catherine was going to quit and me continue to work there or vice versa. Yeah. So we both had to be able to leave at the same time, well, which was a little bit more of uh, trying to figure out figure that out well and it was a crutch and we've we've yeah. i know we've talked yeah. about this plenty of times but um the, it's when you have a second job it's really easy you know and you generally know how much you're going to make um it's and you know it's going to cover your bills you don't want to leave that yeah and it allows you to, to have slack this slack off on the other side on yeah the real estate side. and and not to say like that sounds like i was just laid back doing nothing as you just heard i was also in school <laughs> so um, and I may not have done that if I go back in time, I might not have done all of that at the same time either. But the, the, the biggest thing about all of this though, is just save up. You're starting a business and treat it like that from the very beginning and things will be different. It will actually run like a business right. if you wake up every day and go to work with that intention. So so day one starts. It's, what it probably, do you do? It's probably why a lot of times we see people who um, real estate is their second career. Maybe they ran a business doing something else. And uh, those people, a lot of times, get in get into real estate and within two years, they've got a, a big team. And it's like, how do they do that? They were brand new. And it's like, because they 
already ran a business once and they're just running this new business now. And you go and you get like, I'm not recommending this necessarily for a brand new agent, but a lot of times these, these people that are a little bit older that are, are getting into this, they either have money because they had a, their first business or they go get a small business loan to start their real estate business and they pay themselves with that loan and they, they get all of their marketing materials and all that stuff up and running and they run it like a business. And that's how they get that head start where it's like that person's been in the business two years. They already have a team of 12 people. How do they do that? That's how they did it. They didn't just sort of do it when they had time. And then, well, I can take the day off. I'll go get my haircut. And like with, it was, a, it was run, run from like a business as a business on the very first day. That's how you get ahead. So yeah, I think treating it like a business, knowing that that's what you're doing is 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 definitely a huge piece of advice that if you would have known that from the beginning maybe things would have been moved would move would have moved along quicker i guess and um so and and that sounds like a big picture thing too like just treat it like a business so let's let's take a quick break and then i'll say what does that mean like like what would i do yeah okay let's take a break yeah And we're back. Hey. <laughs> um, okay, so I was thinking about it. Go back day one. What did I... So I'm trying to remember what I did versus what I should have done. And I honestly, I don't remember the first day. Um, like I said, I remember what I wore to the brokerage interviews. I don't remember what I did once I had my license. But um, what I would say you need to do would be like get up in the morning, get dressed, go to the office. If, if there's a physical location, I realize that some brokerages don't have a physical office. So create a space in your house, set it up like a real office with computer, phone, all your chargers, everything, set up an office space and go to your office. So like one of the things that I think a lot of newer agents, um, what, what makes, what hinders their, hinders their success is that by not treating it like a business, they don't show up every day and they think they're working, but they're not really working because it's so easy when you're working from home to get distracted, to do laundry, to clean, to do all of those other things. Now I work primarily from home now, but that's after 15 years. So I figured out what I need to do and I know how to manage that. Although I still struggle with it. Everybody does. This is an ongoing thing for every real estate agent. Um, but once you, you have to kind of earn that like for yourself, like if you just tell yourself, like I have to earn the right to work from home, I'm to go into the office and learn how to do the job before I can actually do it somewhere else. Sure. So go into the office, sit down at a computer and start writing out a list of people who you know. Because as we talk about repeatedly, you're going to need to build a sphere. You have to communicate with people who know you that could potentially refer you business. Every successful real estate agent, most of their business is done from repeat past clients, sphere, sphere referrals. Like that's just across the board. If you went and asked every person in your office, what's your number one lead source? It's probably some sort of sphere and I don't think that, referral. And I don't think that that I mean that right there should be uh, made into a stencil and put on the wall of of every real estate office because if newer agents understood that concept right there, 
then when they go into a brokerage or going to join a team or any of that stuff, their main concern wouldn't be leads. How many leads am I going to get? Where do the leads come from? Can I have more leads? Where are my leads? That wouldn't be a thing because we're t- you would understand right from the beginning that most of your business is going to come from Sphere, referrals of past business, and uh, Sphere referrals. That that's going to be... So it's how... I'm, and, and the more years that go by, the bigger that group gets, the more business you get from it and the percentage stays the same but the numbers are way higher the amount right so but when if it was me if I'm hearing a younger agent a newer agent I should say not younger but newer where are the leads how do you get leads where are my leads that's what I'm saying they don't understand nobody's explained to them where most of your leads are going to come from yes so but so that concept is I think so and and here here is the thing like I think when I was new remember my first listing was a for sale by owner yeah and my last <laughs> just kidding um the I, a lot of training classes and I know this has probably changed over time but a lot of training classes are like go after the fizbos go after the expireds here's my thoughts on that as a new agent it is challenging enough to compete. With expireds, yeah. um, just not, to get to them, just to yeah, get their phone just number, just yeah. just to meet them. You're not going to beat Catherine at a listing appointment if you're a first. <laughs> well, well, that's not true. Well, first year agent, second year agent, you don't have the skills. I just to mean be able to. It's it's, it's not very difficult, and and also real quick. Okay, that's what they were telling you. You also got into the real estate business when there were 10,000 expireds and well, fizz- right. There's, like, there are no <laughs> like right now. It's like good luck. Right. But but at that. Well, time- and I do think that this conversation has shifted a little bit um, in, in the time that I've been in real estate where there is more of a focus uh, for people to build their database of, of people they know. Mm-hmm. But you still what you hear, though, is. The number one, like who's raising their hand and has an immediate real estate need. So what's the fastest path to real estate success? It would be to reach out to for sale by owners and expireds, right? They are literally home sellers. Mm-hmm. You know that. But what I'm suggesting is that, you know, if you've saved up and you're treating it like a business, you're going to start with people that you know and build that list because it will be your most valuable asset for the rest of your career. Well, what happens if I'm in my early 20s and all my friends are in their early 20s and none of them have any money and none of them have jobs? Doesn't like, matter. Um. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> well, I'm asking the question that the person listening to this is saying, well, you know, I'm 24 years old. I just got out of college and my friends uh, are all bartenders and waiters. They don't have any money to buy houses. Why would I call them? Yeah. Well, I mean, that was my my experience. Like, I was 25 when I got my real estate license. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not about them. Well, I just said how old I was. Oh. <laughs> because cause it, because it's not about them. It's about who they know that well, you don't it's, know. Well, it's the whole... It's and the, you're building. What a sphere of influence is a, a, a circle of people that you... Um, that you have influence over, right? So it's not just them. It's who they know. It's um, it's their circle. So if you can come up with a list of 200 people that you know um, that that you can call and try to build a relationship with. So, you, you know, I know everybody starts with their like best friends circle and friends like and the, the tight group and you're going to get like a very small list. You have to think beyond that and keep digging and like, who else do I know? Where do, Who cuts my hair? 
Um, like who's my, my dentist, who's my doctor, um, who's the guy that I, you know, I go pick up the same food order every Thursday night. Who's, who are those people? By the way, a lot easier to do now than pre Facebook and pre Instagram and, and stuff. It's like you, you, there was a time and it wasn't that long ago where you'd go to high school with somebody or go to college with somebody and they would move away or move even to the other side of town. You never see them again. Have no idea what ever happened to them. Whatever happened, you're in constant contact with all of these people. On yeah, Facebook I mean that is like way. it's like there there is absolutely zero excuse. That is one of the first things that I would tell a team member to do is like most people have somewhere around six hundred to a thousand friends on Facebook. You only two hundred those people to put into your database. So I'm pretty sure and confident that you can find 200 people in those thousand. Yeah. And what we say is like, if you say, if somebody said to them, hey, do you know, and then they use your name, they would say, yeah, I know that person. That's all you're looking for. We're not looking for big, long relationships of friends that we go back. They just have to know who you are. <laughs> That's it. Um, But that that would be the first thing that I would start working on is building the list and starting like just write down their names day one just write down the names of as many people as you can think of if you do nothing else you've just set yourself up for success in this career if you just write down a list of names then the next day you got to start getting their contact info so um, if you've already got it fill in the blanks if you don't have it go find out how you can get it do you know somebody else that knows them that you could get a phone number from do they have it listed on their facebook account it, find their contact info in some way phone number email address ideally you'd have their mailing address too but you know that we, can we come can, later yeah that comes like we can get that later you have no other job to do until you have that list prepared with all the contact info, this is why, and then you make your first call, the, introducing yourself as a realtor. It's why this is so. This is the most important thing you can do, and it's why Catherine was saying it's good to have money saved up because if you don't have any money saved up, all of this, what we're talking about, goes right out the window. And instead, you're like, I'm going to go do an open house. I'm going to call Fizbo's. I'm going to do this, and you're constantly in this you're starting off on the wrong foot you're running around looking for the lowest hanging fruit instead of building something right from the beginning the people who build something right from the beginning are the ones who are the most successful later on because if you're just going to run around and look for fizbos and expireds right out of the gate or or do floor duty and wait for somebody to walk in and that's where you're going to get your leads from it will always be just that you'll never have that that thing built i mean eventually 10, 15, 20 years down the road, you will have past clients that will just naturally call you. But if you're not actively building this right from day one, then you're already behind. Yes. And so I really believe like if you just go into the office, sit down and from nine to five, write down those names, you should actually be able to get this done in a week. That would be for adding 40 people a day. And, and what I'm suggesting is first write down all of the names of people you can think about because you will get past 40 easily in your first day, especially if you just go look at your Facebook page and go through that <laughs> and write down as many people as you can. Then day two, start working on phone numbers and email addresses. This will take about a week. It might take you a little bit longer to complete all of their contact info. Mm -hmm. But this is your number one job. And, why, and, why and I wish I had done that 100% fully 
at the very beginning, not sporadically over time. Why 200? Well, 200, I didn't make this up. This is just if you communicate with 200 people according to the multiple. Oh, she's pulling out the phone, the new phone. <laughs> do you know where the calculator is on that thing? <laughs> I do. Um, if you did uh, 200 people, mm-hmm. communicated with them consistently, so like a 33 touch or 40 touch is what we call it now nowadays, um, communicated consistently over time, that should lead to about 33 sales. So 33 sales, you know, again, I don't know splits and all of that, but you're, that's a, over, you know, that's, 30, yeah. that's a six-figure income. That, a year. Right. A year. Right, 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 right. That's, that's 33 sales a year just from those 200 people, and that's just on day one. Yeah. So, now, it depends on your, your price range and average sales sure. price and blah, 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 but 200 people consistently right. communicated Let's with- Let's just say it wasn't 33. Let's say it's 20. Yeah. How many sales did you do? Not, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking facetiously. I'm talking to the, how many sales did you do last year? Right? So this is, the, and this, this isn't something that Catherine made up. No, it's just math. It's um, math. It's math and it's studied. You know, the MRA book says for every um, 12 people in your database communicated with consistently that you would have two sales. Um, let me make sure I did that math right. Yep. Okay. <laughs> now, even if you don't get those numbers, because I know sometimes I I hear in like well, that's what I just circles. Said. Yeah. Instead yeah. of 33, let's just knock a bunch off and say 20. Well, yeah, okay, you'd still 20. in most markets still have a six figure income. Yeah. And so and that's just from that. That's not from doing the open houses for other agents. That's not from getting the listing and getting buyers off of it. That's not that's just those sales. So yeah. take your 20 and then add another 15 to it and you're up at 35. So can I also say because I think um, again, I did. I, I know that I went to some training. I remember who taught it um, and it was like a two week thing. Again, this was with a different brokerage. And I do recall being told to build a sphere list, but I think they said to go to 50. Yeah. And it, and it, that's not enough people, you know, unless they just happen to be like really good referral sources. Um, But I just, 50 is not enough. You have to just, you don't really know. stretch yourself and yeah. think about who you know and write down everyone and, and it, don't stop until it's done. And if you stay in communication with these people, the all my, all my friends are waiting tables. Well, six years from now, they're not going to be waiting tables, right? They're going to have other jobs and they're going to have no other people. And there's plenty of people on Catherine's list that she was very good friends with and had talked to every single day who have never sent a referral (laughs) or bought a house. And there's other people on that list that she barely knew and have sent tons of referrals and have done business. So you don't know who's going to be the one or two people that are like, wow, they sent us six referrals this year. Yeah, We got six deals from this one person. Like that's, that's the kind of stuff that can happen. And, and you don't know who that person is unless you reach out to everybody. Yeah. So so for the first week, nine to five, sit in the office and do that. At some point, like after 5 p.m., um, go ahead and, uh, well, schedule a headshot. Get, get a headshot done and get a business card made, okay? Because you're going to the next step after you contact or after you put all these people on your list is you're going to call them all. And then you're going to want to follow up with something in the mail with business cards. So you've touched them and said, hey, I got into real estate. Um, Do you know anybody that's looking to buy or sell? I'm really trying to build up my business. And then you're going to send them a note card with your business cards. That's not the end of the, like you don't just do that and expect a referral, by the way. (laughs) 
right. um, or a sale, it would be great. And the point is to start a communication where you're the realtor and you're building it to where you're the realtor that they think of first. This is the long game. This is the long game this is for the sure. Lo- the long game, and but it's it's how you it's. I always think of the three little pigs. It's like you can build your house out of straw. It won't take very long to do, but it's going to blow down really easy. This is building it out of brick and steel. Can I tell you? So let me go down a bit of a rabbit hole that is tied in, though. Mr. Rabbit, wait! No, no, no. Okay, so one of the things that becomes really challenging as you start to get into sales and sales start to happen is what I mean by that. Um, it becomes challenging to finish things to completion. And so when I sit down to do a task now with with the with you know people wanting to write offers and appointments and all the things that we have to do once we're in sales, it becomes really hard to sit down and focus on one thing to 100% completion. Like one of the things I've been doing um, like a, it's a project this year is to clean up everything. I think we mentioned this in a podcast is just to clean up everything and, and get us to net zero <laughs> messiness. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so every time I sit down to do that though, one of the things I was working on this week was lead, uh, like the lead sources, cleaning those up because in our CRM, customer relationship management system. (laughs) Um, Which is where you put that sphere. Once you build it, and so we'll get back to that in a second. Once you build it, you've got to communicate it with it systematically and consistently. And so it needs to go into some sort of database system that you can manage the, the, the tasks and stuff, but it can get messy over time. And so I'm cleaning it up and I'm going through the lead sources and I'm just making sure that they all are consistent and I'm getting rid of any sources that we don't use. Or, um, at one point it allowed us to put in names as sources. And I don't like that because then you'd have like a billion, not a billion, but like all of these different names for lead sources, even if somebody only referred one person Mm -hmm. in the last 15 years. So anyways, Pat's falling asleep over here. (laughs) So, so I'm just cleaning that up, right? Well, that takes time. And so to sit down and do something like that when you're busy is very hard. So do it, push that right out of the way. So do things at the beginning all the way, like don't stop at a hundred and then say, well, now I'm going to focus on this. Do your 200 and then move on to the next thing. So when I say after 5 p.m., it's because a lot of my best work is done on weekends and evenings or it has it has over the course of my career um, because that's when I have that time to do those things that that make a big impact. So but right now you don't have any sales, you don't have any business and the fastest way to get business is to talk to people. So build a list of people you can talk to that already would recognize your name And then when you get to the end of that and you've got all those people, you make your first call. So week two, come into the office, 9 a.m. I'm calling the first person on my list and I'm going to keep calling every single day for eight hours until I'm done calling all of those 200 people. If you go back and listen to our last episode, we discussed how you call. You don't start with the A's and work your way through you. There's what was the name of that? The DTD2. Yeah. So you can go, you can Google that, something like that. And then and it, it makes it so that you're not calling just the A's and then you get to G and stop. And then those people in the middle never get called. It bounces back and forth. So 
in all of this, like you do want to schedule a headshot, get your business cards because you're going to need those. Then the other thing I would suggest doing, and again, I would just send out emails and text messages after 5 p.m. Don't do this during like prime time where you're trying to reach people and you're in business mode. I would reach out to agents who are hosting open houses and I would shadow one or two. A lot of new agents immediately want to do open houses. And so here's what, from an experienced agent standpoint, if you come to me as a brand new agent, sometimes I might be like, I don't know, because I represent the seller and the listing. And I do have concerns sometimes having a brand new agent host an open house for me because I don't, I've seriously had this happen where people lock themselves out. They don't know how to open the lockbox. <laughs> And I don't want you bothering me on Saturday or Sunday because you can't get into the house or you don't have all of the questions answered, even though they're all posted in the MLS for you. So I hesitate as an experienced agent and you might get the same thing. So the best way to get open houses again, after you've built your database though, is to learn what is the point of the open house and watch somebody else do it a couple times. Right. What does a new agent think the point of the open house is? I don't know. I don't know. I think <laughs> I think they think that somebody's going to walk in and say I wouldn't want to buy it. And want to buy it and then they'll say, "Oh, I can write up the offer for you. I can write it up for you." And that they're going to get somehow Maybe. I can't remember like what my mindset was about or or open somebody houses. else somebody will say, "I like you. Do you want to be my agent?" <laughs> like that's going to happen. Or something. I don't really know exactly what what they what the people I can't yeah I really can't remember I do feel like I was trained to to know that open houses were to get leads Mm -hmm. um but here's the reason I say shadow someone is because it's not just knowing like the 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 purpose of it it's knowing what how do you ask for contact information because not everybody can get 100% contact info. It's, it's how you ask for it. It's what do you bring with you? What do you provide to people? And then the biggest part of it is what do you do after you actually host your own open house and you have contact info? Right. So now my open house is over. I've got a list of 12. Well, hold on. We're not there. Okay. No, no, no. I'm saying you're working on week one. You're working on your database. Right. And until you finish those 200 people, you're not doing anything else. Focus, focus, focus. The one thing. If the one thing has taught me anything. The book, the one thing. Yeah. Um, then week two, and maybe somewhere in there after 5 p.m., I've emailed or texted a few agents and said, hey, I just got my license. I'm at the brokerage. I would love to shadow you on your open house. Would it be possible for me to stop by? Um, I promise to stay out of your way. Um and find a place to shadow. Now you might not find it the first week because again, we're in this market where listings are selling really quickly. So it might take a week or two before you find somebody where you can shadow. So send out a couple of requests for that and then keep working on your database and then shadow an open house. Ask the agent, what do you do after, by the way, the last time somebody did this with me, like they wanted to shadow me and then ask me a bunch of questions. I then later hired her. <laughs> as my showing partner. Um, So you might get a job out of it. (laughs) But ask those questions like, what do I do once this happens? Like, how do you follow up with people? And then you're going to then find your own open house after you've shadowed a couple. And then maybe we'll cover 
like more in the next week. But I think that's what I would do if I could go back in time. I wouldn't be calling Fizbo's and expireds on day one because I wouldn't know what to say. And even if you have a script in front of you, and maybe this is bad advice, I don't know, but this is just what I'm telling you. The biggest lead source you'll ever have is people you already know, but people don't realize that until they're 15 years in the business. Yeah. <laughs> and then they've missed the opportunity for m- many, many more yeah, sales. Because, because like we said, it's the long game, right? Yeah. So you start on week one by year three, you're so far ahead of than if you if you just were going for the low hanging fruit. You're but so you know far what ahead. this reminds me of is like, you know, again, I've learned over time that you're supposed to like do something until you sort of master it and then add something else. Sure. It's it's, it's like learning and, the fundamentals. That's how that works. Yeah. You can't well, learn how to throw a curveball until you learn how to throw a ball. Yeah. Like and and same thing goes for like um um like habits you know if you want Mm. to uh, I want to eat healthier and I want to work out more and I want to do this and I want to do that it's like first do one and do it successfully like over time until it becomes a habit until it becomes a habit and then add the next thing right so because otherwise you're trying to do too much at once and so instead of doing one thing really well yeah you're doing everything half-assed yeah so I I do think that 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 is like the most important thing that I wish if I could go back and day one, what would I do when I walked into the office? It was that. And then ask people questions. Like truly, it's so rare. You know, I'm not saying I'm like, um, you know, that I know all or anything like that. But I have been doing this a long time. And it's so rare that people actually come and ask me questions. Yeah. And um, don't if, be afraid. And that could be out of fear. Don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, don't be questions. afraid. Oh, my gosh. Because, well, first of all. I would love to answer your questions. <laughs> anything she anything she can do to not call the sphere. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But no, I I like I like teaching and answering questions. Like people people generally like to talk about um what they've learned and impart that knowledge to somebody and feel like they've they've like that there's something that they've gotten out of that that they've been able to pass along. So when you see somebody who's got experience, ask them like what what do you do to communicate with your database how like what does your schedule look like ask those kinds of questions I promise you won't be bothering them I mean you might be bothering them if you catch them at the wrong time but like it is worth it to ask and the other thing is though I wouldn't say like hey do you mind if I can we hop on a zoom call or like can I I want to pick your brain can I pick your brain (laughs) yeah just try to meet them in the kitchen or like the question like yeah like if you run into them at a meeting and say, hey, I, I've seen your name around the office. a busy agent doesn't have time to go to Starbucks and sit for two hours to answer a bunch of your questions. So be respectful of what the other agent's time is. Yeah. And just ask them the question. Yeah. It's not that they, and it's not like, again, I love to, to teach and talk about things. Um, obviously, <laughs> we started a podcast, so I could just ramble on. But um it's not that they don't want to. It's that they really just don't have time to give you 30, 45 minutes. And and so just be respectful of other people's time. But that doesn't mean that you can't like get to know them yeah. and ask and them a question here and there when you have an opportunity. And an o- open house can be a good opportunity for yeah. that. But pre-open house, post-open house, um, even during if nobody's there, there's plenty of time. So if you really want to do that, that's, that's, a, that's a really good opportunity because you've got them in the room and they're not going anywhere. 
Yeah, I did have one agent shadow me once at an open house and she didn't really ask very many questions. um, But I just kept talking Talking. because I thought that's why she was there. Like, like, why why else else would you you be there? So I just kept telling her now whether or not she learned anything or got anything. I don't know. I'd have to go and ask her. But um, but I like to think maybe she got some little nugget that she's been able to take with her. Well, yeah. Well, speaking of questions. Ladies and gentlemen, the question you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. All right, question from the web. I would love to know how you would answer how you would handle this scenario. Let's say you list a house and you have got gotten a ton of showings. Then a few call a few agents call and are asking what your client wants for the house. They're fishing to see how much they should send as their offer. What's the best way to deal with this question? Is it okay to tell other agents that your client would not entertain or consider offers below a certain amount? Or would you just tell them to submit their best offers based on the comparables in the area and see what happens? Thanks. Well, what was the middle part? I heard the the their uh, clients are or uh, agents are calling to see um, what their client wants for the house. Like calling to say, like, are they firm on this offer? Are they firm on this price? Yeah. yeah. Do, then do you um, are they they're, they're fishing to see how much their offer should be? What's the best way to deal with that question when they call and ask that? So, so the person is the listing agent. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, I just wanted yeah, to clarify yeah, yeah. like who's yes. asking. Um, yeah. <sighs> this one's tough. So it's such a challenging market. Like it, it really is brutal. <laughs> I feel like that's the right word for it. And all we want to do is what's best for the buyer and try to get them the house. But um, it really, at least in our state, you really can't disclose the terms of the other contracts or offers without permission. So unless you've talked to the seller and said, is it okay for me to give people information about other offers? Um, Then you really shouldn't be telling them anything. And I know that that sucks because you feel bad and and people will give you their sad story and stuff. Mm. Um, But you just have to say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I know it's really tough out there. As you can imagine, we have lots of offers or whatever the case may be. And um, so just really just submit, submit your buyer's best offer, whatever that looks like for them. That's that's really all I can tell you. And then people will say, well, what's important to the seller? Well, you know, if the seller has given you some indication of like, I don't really care about the price. I just want to be able to lease back for free for two months while my house is built. Like I just need a place to stay. That means more to me than getting the most price. Then you could share that if you have permission from the seller is to say, well, so the seller actually needs to stay here for two weeks while their house finished, like is, is being built. And so they would rather be able to stay in their home for free and then move into their new house and not have to move into storage and stuff, then they care so much about the price. However, we have multiple offers. So as you can imagine, the prices are also competitive. Right. So, so what you're doing is you're you're telling them without telling them. It's like read between the lines a little well, bit. That's, is that what you mean? That's... um. Like I'm telling you, we have multiple offers. I'm telling you whatever um, the seller has allowed me to... Right. But you're not... You, but by saying we have multiple offers, it's a competitive market, blah, blah, blah. What I'm telling that other agent is highest and best, baby. 
Like, yeah, well, like so, we're, we're and, probably above or at asking price. So if you want to put in an offer um, asking for your your buyer's closing costs to be paid, um, don't bother. That's what you're saying without actually saying it. So yes, yes. There. So what I tell, um, yeah, okay. So to answer the question, sorry, I'm kind of like, I'm viewing this from a buyer's agent perspective. As a listing agent, I am pretty stern and just like, I'm sorry, I really, as you know, I can't disclose any of the terms of the other offers. She says it just like that, too, <laughs> by the way. I've heard her do it, yeah. Because I feel bad, because on the other side, I want as much information as I can get. Right. But as a as a listing agent, unless I have permission, I don't really give those kinds of things. Um. So, but I do try to find out from the seller in advance, like, hey, what's in, is there something important to you that you would like me to share? Um, so those leasebacks have become very common. So you could ask, uh, as a buyer's agent, you could ask, like, does the seller want to stay after closing? Do they need a post occupancy or leaseback? As like, the, as the as the buyer's agent. Yeah, you can asking. ask ask more detailed questions than just like, what do we need to do? Right, right. Be more specific. Yeah, yeah. That's a good that's a good piece of advice. Yeah. And sometimes people will ask like what about this price? Like, would this get it? Right. (laughs) I know. You know, I mean, you really can't, as a listing agent, you really can't give any clues as to whether or not that's good enough. It really, and and I know that stinks, but that's just. But also, it also protects you because even if you say yes, and then all of a sudden another offer comes in, it's it's over. Then, then you, you don't know who that other agent is when they said, you told me, you said that this would be, and now I've got my, it's like you, it's like, you know what else too? Um, I I feel like a lot of times people will say in in recent months like, "Well, this is never going to appraise," and it's like it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing on the buyer's agent side. I don't tell buyers what offers to make. I give them strategies that are getting offers accepted. Strategies that are getting offers accepted appraisal gaps, waiving the appraisal contingency. If you can, if you can't, you just can't compete. You know, it's fine. Like you, maybe you, um, maybe it works out this time. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, some people are waiving the inspection contingency. I think that is just like not a good idea. And I wouldn't recommend that to anybody, but those are strategies. Except for us. Well, like for myself, I'll do whatever I want to yeah. do. Um, but if you're a first time home buyer, you need that. Well, so what do I say to a buyer? I say, here are strategies that um, buyers are using in this market, this highly competitive market to get their offers accepted. And then I'll go through waiving inspections. I do not recommend this. This is just something that some people have done. Um, waiving appraisals. If you're able to waive the appraisal, then that's something we could talk about. Because it doesn't matter anyways. Like it doesn't matter if it appraises or doesn't appraise in this market. So that's something that um, if it can, you could get rid of. Um, And then talk about the pricing. You know, in a multiple offer situation, it depends on how many offers they have. But nine times out of 10, those prices are over asking, which means you also have to be over asking price in a competitive situation. So then you just have to decide how much more are you willing to go over. And then I'm going to look at the sales in the area and see what have the sales been going for. Mm -hmm. So are they 1% over asking? Are they 5%? In some situations, I've seen that the market prices are actually 10% over the asking prices on average. I want to share that information with the buyer so that they have some chance of getting their offer accepted. It's just all fact-based though. Right. And then I'm going to give them those strategies, right? Escalatory clause, um, which I feel like we don't even use much anymore. It's just like- It was a thing- Throwing out year, the highest offer two years you can. Ago and yeah, now it's yeah. Um anyways, 
giving them the strategies that that get offers accepted, letting them choose which ones they want to go for, and then submitting the offer. And then I do still like the the biggest thing is like following up with the agent and trying to talk to the agent because then at least they remember who you are. So if the offer is competitive and and it's similar to another one, at least they recognize your name right. and know that you were on top of things. Okay. I know that that's I totally well, yeah, went in the they, buyer's agent direction it's with okay. that, but, well, that but one, from a that's seller's more, more interesting. Well, because from a seller's standpoint, it's just like, well, you don't have permission to share those yeah, details, so, you, so don't. you don't. Yeah, that's how you handle it. Small win, Catherine. You have a small win this week. Can I just use my phone? <laughs> Buying a new phone. You finally phone? got a new phone. That's, I mean. She keeps looking at it. It's really my um, my only new thing. I know. <laughs> I know. And uh, my small win is I've got a 17 gallons of stain that are going to be delivered today for our fence. So I am going to be covered in stain for the next four days. And uh, But at the end, of, at the end we'll have uh, our, our beautiful cedar fence will be all, all stained and Protected. Protected. Yay. Hey, guys, remember to rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps new listeners to find us. You can also send questions, letters, and stories to us at our website on SeekingTheBest.com. You can leave us a voicemail and we'll play it on the show. Send us a tweet at SeekTheBestPod. And for Kat, Kayla, and myself, thanks for listening. And we'll figure this all out next week. Bye. Adios. (laughs) This has been a Think Live Be production.